0: I want to tell you from the get-go, we are going to answer the question, which Jesus? That is the question I want you to keep at the forefront of your mind the entire time we are speaking this morning. Before we get going, though, I want you to picture in your head whatever comes to mind when I say the word crown. Not crayon. We're in Kentucky, and sometimes that can be confused. Crown. C-R-O-W-N. Crown. Crown. And while you're picturing that, I just want to welcome you once again to Mission Church. My name is Justin Crow. I'm one of the pastors here at Mission Church. For those of you that don't know, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. And again, our intention in all that we do today is to make much of Jesus, not make much of ourselves, the pastors, the members, or anything Mission Church does except worshiping Him. Alright, from 1940 to 1945, those years should ring a bell in your mind. This is World War II. These are the years we see some of the worst human atrocities that have ever taken place in the history of the world. If you have studied this time period, if you have studied things that have gone on here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are depictions, there are pictures, there are all kinds of things that really only elicit sadness. Sadness. There's really no happy pictures or descriptions or anything of war, World War II. i I'm going to struggle saying that the whole time, just so you guys know. You can read testimonials from people that miraculously survived the war, survived concentration camps. You can hear uh, hear them describe how awful the circumstances were, and honestly, they probably don't even do justice of just how bad they really are. You can read or hear people talk about how their lives have been affected generations after one of their relatives spent time in one of these concentration camps or during that war. During that time, it did not matter your country of origin. It did not matter where you were from. If you were Jewish and the Nazis could find you and round you up, they were going to do that. They would round you up. They would take you to these inhumane camps that Auschwitz That's a name that everyone pretty much knows is the most famous one of these and the most deadly. It is estimated between those years that 1.3 million Jewish people were sent there. 1.1 million of them died there. 90 some odd percent of them died there. In 1942 alone, 200,000 Jewish people were sent there. 70% of them were murdered as soon as they arrived immediately, ushered into gas chambers, sometimes 6,000 per day, gassed, deprived of their life, dragged out just so we could put more in. It was a revolving door of death. Towards the end of the war, the Germans realized we're not going to win this thing, so we've got to cover up all these things that we've done. We've got to We've got to destroy the evidence of what we... They knew what they were doing was wrong. Even during wartime, this was not acceptable behavior. They knew that, but they thought they were going to win, so they thought, well, we'll get away with it at the end of this. When they realized they weren't going to win, that's when they began evacuating the prisoners. That's when they began moving these people further into the, the territory that they still had control of from the outskirts of these concentration camps and started moving them in. The prisoners were already dead on their feet, starved, beaten, weak. Some adults weighed less than 50 pounds. I don't know if you can even fathom what that looks like, but some of the adults were so food deprived, so starved that they weighed 50 pounds or less. They were forced to trudge through rain, snow, wind, mud, whatever the, the uh, conditions were. They were forced to walk through it, sometimes with no shoes, sometimes with no clothes. And most of them did not survive the journey which was the point. That was the whole point, really, is to just exterminate as many people, destroy the evidence that the concentration camp even existed. On these death marches, it is estimated that another 200 to 250,000 people marched, literally marched to their deaths. It was basically hell on earth. One person that survived, miraculously, described it this way. They said, there is Auschwitz, therefore there is no God. It was so bad that he determined that there can't be a God if Auschwitz existed, if this kind of atrocities happened, Billy Graham states, Auschwitz stands as a tragic reminder of the terrible potential man has for violence and inhumanity. Inhumane is an understatement. Uh, I read many different quotes about this season of human history. I read... Probably, I, I, I went down the rabbit trail. It happens every time you click on one thing and you click on 50 others. So I read probably more than I really needed to. But I asked one of my friends who had just gone to the museum a few months ago uh, how he would describe it. And this is what he texts me back. He said, it's a place everyone should go, but it is one of those places that if you really stopped and focused on what went on there, it kind of messes up your whole day. And this is 60, 70, 75, 80 years later. It was gruesome, it was insane, it was inhumane. It was people being forced to knowingly walk themselves to death. And in all the quotes, and all the stories, and all the articles, and all the videos, and all of the everything that I looked at this week, there's one word that I never heard one time. Triumph. Never heard one person use that. Never heard one person put a a positive spin on what went on there. No one said, yeah, but it was bad, but look what happened or look at the good that came or any of this. It was negative, sad, solemn, dark descriptions of what went on there, what went on on these death marches and what went on on all of these things. But here's the thing, this is not even the worst injustice that has ever happened in the history of the world. They are completely atrocious in every way. There is no redeeming quality to anything that the Germans did to the Jewish people then. But the worst injustice ever carried out happened on a hill called Mount Calvary. It was carried out on a man who owed nothing, who was guilty of nothing. It was carried out in the most gruesome, inhumane, painful way that anyone could possibly come up with. That was the key of crucifixion. To make it as bad as possible. And they succeeded. But this was carried out on a man who deserved none of it. He deserved to be worshipped, and instead he was murdered by his own people. And yet, if you look in your Bible at the heading, every one of them I almost almost guarantee says triumphal entry. It's described as a triumph. A triumph is not just a victory. A triumph is defined as a great victory victory. A lopsided victory. A one-sided. The other team didn't have a chance like Clemson and Alabama a few months ago. It was lopsided. It was a great triumph. It was a great victory. And just like the men and women evacuated from those concentration camps, Jesus knew for certain, for certain, he was marching straight to his death. He was going straight to die. He knew he would die in Jerusalem. Not only did he know but it was prophesied. Everyone should have known. He tried to tell them over and over. It was foretold. Jesus said it over and over. He said it in coded language sometimes. Guess what? Disciples didn't get it. He said it plainly sometimes. Disciples didn't get it. In Luke alone, there are three times where Jesus plainly says, as plainly as I'm saying this right now, in different, ter- different language, but hey, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. And they were like, what does He mean? you think He means something else by that? And the whole time, when He was talking in coded language, they were taking that literally. So He could not get it through to them. It said they understood none of these things. Everyone seemed to have missed it. Everyone seemed to be expecting something different than what they saw that day. Everyone was throwing a party while Jesus was weeping over the very city that He came to save. Over the very people He came to save. His own very people he was weeping over them while the world came out to throw him a party if you've ever seen the movie gladiator which i hope you have i ref- it's like i reference it every time i preach if you've ever seen the movie gladiator there's a scene near the beginning of that movie where commodus the villain the bad guy he comes rolling into rome after he has murdered his own father to ascend to the throne no one knows that so they're celebrating him They're lauding Him. They're praising Him. They're screaming. They're shouting. He's riding a chariot drawn by a massive white stallion. There's rose petals being thrown from every angle, from thousands upon thousands of people. He is walking in on the the proverbial red carpet. He's going into the city because He is going to be king. And this should be celebrated. He's going to be king. He's going to a coronation. He's going to be crowned king. We should celebrate that. Jesus comes in riding a donkey. But other than that, it seems like he's walking through that very scene that we see in Gladiator. People are praising him. people are worshiping him, they are shouting to him. they are throwing their cloaks on the ground so that he, his donkey doesn't even have to touch the ground. They're throwing palm branches on this where the name comes from Palm Sunday. They are praising him and at, they're rolling out the red carpet for Him and He is receiving the very treatment that He truly deserves because He deserves worship. The Pharisees rebuke Jesus for saying this. You see that at the, towards the end of what Lindsay read for us. The Pharisees rebuke Him for accepting praise because after all, only God should receive praise. And Jesus is allowing these people to worship Him and they look at Him and He says one of the most humbling but awesome things in all of Scripture They say to him, how dare you let these people worship you? And he said, if I told them to be quiet, even the stones would cry out my name. Everything in created order is worshiping me. Everything in created order sings and shouts my name. The next time you start getting cocky and think God needs me for something, just remember you can be replaced with a rock. He does not need us. He is going to be worshiped no matter what. So he's riding a donkey instead of a white stallion. Now, if you're going to a coronation, shouldn't you ride something that is more fitting? Shouldn't you announce your kingship a different way than riding a donkey in kind of what was supposed to be quietly, but everybody came out and started worshiping Him instead? But this is what the prophecy said. Again, Jesus is showing them. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is He. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was trying to once again, after time and time and time and time of telling them who He was and what He was doing, Jesus was trying once again to show, I am the Messiah. I'm fulfilling this prophecy. I'm going to fulfill all prophecies. I am this long-awaited Messiah. This was not an idea Jesus concocted in His head to get followers, hey, I'm the Messiah, this guy that you've never heard of. They were waiting for him for years upon years upon years. We see in Scripture, lots of people asking other people, are you the Messiah we've waited for? They asked John the Baptist and he quickly is like, no, 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 I'm just pointing to the guy that is the Messiah. So they have long been waiting. They've got all the info they need. They've got all the texts If they were a good Jewish person, they would have memorized most of those texts at some point in their life to remember the prophecies that a Messiah was coming to save them. And yet, even though Jesus seems to be riding to a coronation, He seems to be riding to become King with all of these people praising Him, we know in less than a week's time, the very same people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord save us, Lord save us, will be shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him. Because they have turned on Him. They've been looking for Him for decades. He shows up and it takes about five days to change their mind. From worship to murder. See, at this time, Jerusalem would have been chock full of people. Uh, And when I say full, I mean full of people. This is no ordinary week for them. Just like it's no ordinary week in the life of the church. Once we start Holy Week, it is in my opinion, the most important week of the Christian calendar. Many people would agree with me. Some people say, well, what about Christmas? I agree, but if some baby was born and we don't have a Holy Week to follow that up, it's just some baby was born. Holy Week is important. Same thing is happening here. It is Passover. This is the time when the Jewish people would have gathered in Jerusalem. They would have all come there. If they were good Jewish people and had the means at all to get there, they would have gotten there to celebrate The fact that God spared their firstborn child's life back in Egypt when they took the blood of the Lamb and sprinkled it over their doorposts so the angel of death would pass over them. They were celebrating that. So up to millions of people may have been in Jerusalem at this time. And Jesus knows this. He knows all along that this is the week that is going to happen. He he knows they're missing the point, but He also knows this is the week. He's told them numerous times. It's not my time yet. It's not my time yet. Not, don't, don't tell everybody what's going on here. I'm, yes, I'm healing people. I'm raising people from the dead. I'm doing all this. But it's not my time yet because he knew this was the week that it was his time. Because here's the deal. The truth is he was writing to a coronation. He was going to be king. But the people who were worshiping him and on his way into the city weren't picturing the same kind of coronation that Jesus was. They weren't picturing the same kind of crown that you were probably picturing. They weren't picturing a cross. That's Jesus' crown. It is a cross-shaped crown. It's not the one you wear on your head. Jesus is King. Not because He came riding in His chariot. Not because He came riding in on a white stallion. Not because He came in announcing He is King. He came in on a donkey just like Zechariah 9.9. The cross is also a crown because that very cross, that victory, that triumph... Is the triumph over all other worldly gods, all other worldly powers, all other worldly authorities. Colossians 2 13 and 15 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to a cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them all. The cross is Jesus' crown. The the cross is the crown because that is where His true kingdom was founded. John 19.33-37 Pilate entered the headquarters and asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Did others tell you to say that? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to Me. What have you done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. The cross is a crown because it is exactly where Jesus was crowned with glory. We see this in Hebrews chapter 2. Now in putting everything in subjection to him he left nothing outside of his control at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor get this because of the suffering of death so that the grace of God by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone the cross is his inauguration it is the where the kingdom was started. Yes, He was coming in. He was doing all of these things to prove that He was the Messiah. Yes, He was doing all these things to fulfill the prophecy. But until the moment He was put on that cross, none of that would have mattered if He had skipped this last part. This is why He is crowned with glory because of the suffering of His death. The cross is the victory. Next Sunday, Easter, which I hope all of you are back for, We get to celebrate the announcement of that victory. When Jesus says, you remember what I did three days ago? Yeah, it was good enough. It was fulfilled. It was the inauguration of my kingdom. Imagine if someone wins the Super Bowl and then has the parade for the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl, but then they announce it to the world with this parade. It's the exact same thing. The victory lap begins on Easter, but the victory is won at the cross. The victory lap is only made possible by this suffering servant we see in Isaiah 53. It is only made possible because the ruler of the universe that we see in Psalm 8, crowned with honor and glory, but also made a little lower than the heavenly beings. It is only through this humble servant Jesus that His death, through His death, we gain victory. It is only through that that we have any hope of triumph, any hope of victory, any hope of salvation. Because it is only this Jesus that is triumphant. This was not the Jesus they envisioned, it was the Jesus they were promised. It is not the Jesus they wanted, it was the Jesus they truly needed. And this is why they turned on him in 5 days time. They wanted a Jesus that comes in and kicks the door door in like the police or kicks the door in like Vic Mackey in the Shield, don't watch that show unless you're a sinner. But not the one that says the meek inherit the earth. They wanted a Jesus that was going to give them everything they ever dreamed of. Not the one who said the Son of Man came to be to serve, not to be served. They wanted a Jesus that was going to restore what they deemed the right order of things because after all, we are God's chosen people. We deserve the power. We deserve the authority. God's going to put us back in the right order of things. And instead, He came in saying the first shall be last and the last shall be first. They wanted a kingdom of their choosing. And He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is of another world. And my question to you today is does any of that sound familiar to you? Does any of it sound familiar to what you are looking for from Jesus? A kingdom of your own choosing. A kingdom of this world. A kingdom that looks like what you want it to look like. This is why I began by asking the question today, which Jesus? Which Jesus do you know? Which Jesus do you love? Which Jesus do you worship? Do you know, love, and worship the Jesus that you think wants to give you everything that you want? Or to give you an easy life? And I'm following after Jesus. I don't know why all this stuff's happening to me. I'm, I'm really trying here. Why, why is this bad stuff happening to me? That reveals the kingdom that you were looking for. Do You want power, prestige, money, stuff. Just the easy life. Whatever easy life means to you. Is that what you were looking for from Jesus? And the easy answer is no, that's not what I'm looking for. You're sitting in church today. It's the obvious answer. No, I want that. I want the biblical Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. We all want salvation of our sins because deep down we know we need it. We know we're sinful. We know we do wrong things. We know that deserves to be punished deep down. We want salvation of our sins. We all want freedom for our addictions. Or freedom from the things that are ruining our lives, or the things that are controlling our lives. We all want to be healed of things, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is. We all want healing. We all want victory in this life. We say, "Give me triumph, Jesus. Give me triumph, but without the defeat first. I, I don't. I just want the triumph part. Give me victory without the process. I want to win the Super Bowl. I don't want to practice." I don't want to do the hard stuff. I just want to get the victory. Give me the life I want. Don't make me give up anything though. I want to keep all the stuff that I want. And I want you to also bless me with the life that I want even though I'm not doing anything over here. Give me abundance, but don't make me change my priorities. Don't make me change to do the hard things to gain abundance. Give me freedom, but don't tell me how to live. How dare you? I'm going to do me. I'm going to be me. I'm going to live my life. How dare you tell me how to live? But I I still want the freedom that you bought me. I want want that. Just don't tell me how to live in it. Give me acceptance from you without having to experience rejection from the world. There's mine. That's why that's included. Because that's what I want. I want acceptance from Jesus, but I don't want to be ostracized by the world. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't even want to think that any of y'all are thinking anything but awesome, positive things about me right now. I don't even like considering that you might be thinking something else. I want acceptance from Him, but I don't want to experience the rejection from the world. Give me eternity, but don't demand so much in return. You see, this is how we miss the point, just like the Jewish people. Give me triumph with no death. Give me a crown with no cross. That is what we are begging for Jesus to do. And He is saying, I don't offer that kind of kingdom. I didn't come to establish that kind of kingdom. I'm not the king over that kind of kingdom. We see in John's account of this story, this triumphal entry is in all four Gospels. In John's account of this story, many of the people came out just to see Lazarus. They had heard, oh, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Let's go see if that's actually true. Let's go see if Lazarus is actually living. So they came out and they wanted to see if it was true. But then we see in John's Gospel that the Pharisees saw people going out, seeing Lazarus was alive, and determining that they wanted to follow after Jesus. And listen to their solution. In John chapter 12, they were plotting to kill Lazarus again. Like he'd already died once. And they're like, let's just kill him again. Let's, that'll destroy the evidence. Let's just kill the guy he raised from the dead, then kill the guy that raised him from the dead, instead of the rational response being, well, he's got power over life and death. Maybe we should worship him. Maybe we should follow him. Maybe he is the Messiah. No, no, no. Let's just kill the guy. And furthermore, how do you threaten the guy that's already died? Like, hey, we're going to kill you. I got the t shirt. Been there, done that. All I got was this crappy t shirt. All right. So, how do you even try to threaten him with death? He knows the guy that can raise him back to life again. That was their solution, though. Let's kill them both. Just get rid of it all. It was let's march them to their deaths, concentration camp style. But we're still fighting the same battle. You're like, I don't even know Lazarus, never even met him. They wanted the promise of Jesus to apply now. Kingdom now. They wanted what they wanted now. That's what we want. We are still wanting the now kingdom and Jesus is offering the later kingdom. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Very next verse, though. The suffering of this world is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in heaven. Man, we just want to ignore that part. We just want to destroy that evidence. He didn't say that suffering thing, that didn't apply to me. Like, yeah, some people might suffer for Jesus, but I'm not going to. That doesn't mean me. We destroy the evidence so we can reap the benefits without the sacrifice. Left up to the Jews, because here's the thing. Left up to the Jews, Jesus never would have died had, they given, had he given them what they want. Am I saying that right? Well, given them what they wanted. If he had come in and done what they wanted, they would have never turned them over to the Romans to, to die. They would have never been the ones yelling, crucify, crucify. They would have lived under that kingdom. And here's the thing is what that, when we try to backdoor our way into the kingdom, when we try to say, well, isn't this good enough, Jesus? I'm not going through the suffering part. I'm not going to be rejected. I'm not doing any of these things that you're asking me to do, but I want to still be ushered into your kingdom. All we are revealing is that we don't want a king. We want to be king. That's all we are revealing. We want to rule, but with Jesus as our servant, doing our bidding, doing what we want. He has the power. We have the control to control Him. That's all we are revealing. We are trying to kill Lazarus and pretend like He really didn't raise him. We're trying to kill Lazarus and pretend like the evidence doesn't exist. That it doesn't really say that I have to suffer. That it doesn't really say I have to go through the hard parts of life. That it doesn't really say Jesus is not offering the easy life where nothing goes wrong. Destroy the evidence. And here's the thing. We are really, really good at lying to ourselves. Really good at it. Because we can truly convince ourselves, man, I am following Jesus. I go to church Some. I mean, I'm here now, aren't I? I'm hearing you talk. I give sometimes, maybe, like when I feel really pressured to do so, I give to the church. I, I say God bless you every time somebody sneezes. Every time. Even if they sneeze, like there's one of those weird people that sneeze like 14 times in a row. God bless you, God bless you. Hey, hey, I'm on it. I'm following Jesus. I use hashtag blessed all the time on Instagram because I'm too blessed to be stressed or blessed like Ken and Kanye, whatever. We truly lie to ourselves, though, that that's good enough. And that's that's sharing the Gospel. That's spreading the name of Jesus. Because blessed couldn't possibly mean anything else. It's got to be about Jesus. But we lie to ourselves. That's not bearing a cross. That is not denying ourselves. To be a true follower of this Jesus, we must be peculiar. I knew I was going to mess it up. Peculiar in the same way that Jesus was peculiar. A peculiar king makes for a peculiar kingdom. Why did I use that word? I don't know. A king who knowingly rides to his own death rules over a kingdom that calls his followers to do the very same thing. He willingly, humbly rode to his own death, and he is asking us to do it uh, as well. He tells us again and again and again if you wish to follow me, if you wish to truly be one of my followers, You must deny yourself and take up your cross. And this is what that means. We knowingly ride to our death every single day in order to live for Him, in order to live for His glory, in order to live for His kingdom. We die to our sin. We die to our desires. We die to our preferences. We die to our unwillingness to forgive. We die to our desire for revenge. We die to our unwillingness to apologize. Even when we know we're wrong, we don't want to do that. We die to having having to have our own way, our selfishness. We die to our greed, our pride. We die to our worry. We die to our anxiety. We die to our belief that we are good enough to save ourselves. Newsflash, spoiler alert, you are not and you never will be. You must follow this Jesus. We die, we die, we die every day. And this is the only way that you truly get to live. This is the only way. The more we make everything about us, the less we can make it about Jesus. And the point of all of this is to be about Jesus. is the only way is through Jesus and through this process that He has laid out. But then, but then we get to rule and reign in that kingdom. Second Timothy 2: 11 and 12. The saying is trustworthy, For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Who's in control in heaven? Yes, God. Yes, Jesus. But here it says we get to reign with Him. Because there will be no sin. There will be no greed. There will be no selfishness. So there won't be this backbiting, backstabbing, all of this going on. So we get to reign with Jesus. We are placed above the angels, above the heavenly beings. I don't know what it means that we're going to judge those people or judge those beings. But that's what it says that is going to happen. This is the pathway to the kingdom. When we suffer like Jesus, for Jesus. This is the keys to the kingdom. The problem is, we are promised a way to rule in an eternal kingdom. but We are so far too willing to settle for a tiny temporary now kingdom. As long as we can rule it the way we want to rule it, give it to me now. My daughter Nora is four years old. I don't eat sweets all that much, but there's one time a year that you will catch me eating sweets all day long if I could. Those Cadbury malted chocolate eggs, anybody that come in the purple package, I can describe to you the whole thing like in detail. Because this is the one sweet. I am truly convinced that's what chickens are going to lay in heaven. That is what we are eating when we eat eggs in heaven is those things. Okay, so I had them in the house the other day. going to have them in the house later today now that I'm talking about it. So the eggs were sitting there Nora is late in the afternoon. Nora was like, Daddy, can I have one of those eggs? My first response in my head was, Heck no, I'm eating all of those. But the second response was, Dinner's coming. So you got to wait till after dinner to eat your sweets. It's a good parent thing to say, right? She kept on, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait for dinner. I said, Nora, this will be a good learning experience for you. I try to learn, I try to help her learn in every possible way that I can come up with in my little pea brain. So I said, Here. You are big enough you're gonna have to start making decisions. You can have one egg now. Before dinner. Or you can have three eggs later. Huh? I even tried to like sell it with the the eyebrow thing and the Whatever that noise means. Like the, huh? You can have one egg now. Or three eggs later. Three eggs later? Because I knew, I knew what was coming. That one egg was delicious, apparently. So anyway, so we we laugh though. And I I again I knew what she was going to pick because that's our nature. This is what we do. We want now. We want to rule and reign now. We don't want to wait for anything. Does anybody watch a YouTube clip and not have your mouse already where skip ad is going to pop up in 5 seconds, right? 5 5 seconds. I am busy. I can't wait 5 seconds to skip this ad. Like I got to be ready and skip ad right there. Got it. Boom. Next on to the next one, right? And then heaven forbid we get one where we can't skip it and it's like 20 seconds and you're just like, I'm just going to go like, take a walk. I'm going to go make some coffee. It's 20 seconds, guys. Calm down. And I'm the guiltiest person in here. But we want now. We don't want to wait. We don't want instant gratification. We, like the Jewish people, are still waiting on a Messiah that's never coming. The Messiah we are talking about that gives us a kingdom now, He's never coming. He already came. They ignored Him. And we do the very same thing. We must trust the Savior of the Bible. We must trust the Messiah that is triumphal. That has won the victory. We must worship King Jesus. Because only this Jesus, only this Savior, only this Messiah, only this death, only this payment, only this rescue, only this King, only this triumph offers any hope to a lost and dying world. The salvation of your souls is determined by who do you say Jesus is and what is my response to that. It is only this Jesus that offers any chance of salvation. So I cannot let you leave today without asking you, which Jesus? Is this the Jesus you are serving? Is this the Jesus you are knowing, loving, worshiping? Or is it this other Jesus that gives you what you want? Gives you an easy life. The full and abundant life. It's in there, Pastor Justin. It says it. So, that's what He wants to give me, right? Yes. It doesn't mean what you think it means. See, Jesus is King. He rode to His coronation that day on a donkey and His crown was a cross. The question is now, is He King of your life? Is this Jesus truly the King of your life? If He says jump, do you say how high or can I do it tomorrow? Or what about a hop? Or is a leap okay? Is a skip the same as a jump, Jesus? Because I want to try to find a loophole into your kingdom. And He's saying, there are no loopholes. I'm it. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. It is only this Jesus. Do not go the rest of your day today or the rest of your life hoping the Jesus you have contrived in your heart or in your mind or I really feel like Jesus is this way and not this way. Do not leave here today thinking that that's going to be okay. It will not suffice. Jesus is must be king. He is the only one who will save. So I ask any and all of you if you will surrender to Him and His kingship today. Let's pray.